And we're getting close to the NBA playoffs. And so, of course, we have to have the one and only voice of the Miami Heat, our television play-by-play announcer for the Heat since their inaugural season in 1988 here on Bally Sports Sun. It is Eric Reed back on this episode of Miami Miked Up. Eric, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to join me today. Hey, a pleasure. It's better than looking out the window at snow in Chicago. <laughs> well, that that's for sure. Um, before we get into to all of the stuff with the Heat, and you're in Chicago for a matchup uh, with the Bulls on Saturday night, but before we get into any of that, I do have to ask you, uh, what is something, and I'm sure this has been tough in, in recent weeks, but what is something outside the workplace that has brought you joy recently? Visiting my daughter at school yesterday morning before we made the trip to Boston or two, two mornings ago. And uh, she's at, at, at a, a great, great school in, in Delray, American Heritage, and they've got a, a broadcasting production class that she has gotten very interested in. So I drove her in the other day and got her uh, got to watch her hosting the morning news and talk to her class and took a bunch of pictures and just to see that group of kids. And I've been working with the the broadcast program, Michael Applebaum, who's been a longtime crew member on, on local sports telecasts for a long, long time. This guy does an amazing job of, of teaching middle school and high school kids, the, the basic elements of broadcasting. And I guess my daughter got interested in it late in middle school. And now two years into high school, she, she's found something that, she can do well and that she enjoys. And it's fun to watch that happen for her and for all the others. And uh, so that that was a joyful experience. And they took a few pictures and I posted them on social media. And it wasn't until I was sitting at the airport. I'm always early. So I got there, you know, an hour before we needed to board the plane. And I started looking at, at the picture I posted and the comments and uh, it was a nice moment. It, it, it felt emotional to watch, you know, when, as you, when, as you age, if you're fortunate enough to have kids, you measure it on their years, not your mm. own. So it's it's been a joyful thing to, to watch my youngest of three grow up. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And so cool to see her following a similar passion. I remember, I think we saw her a couple of years ago on a heat broadcast in one yes. of the junior heat broadcasts, if I remember correctly. It, before we move on, I wanted to ask because I saw... Um, your other daughter, Felicia Ross, will be in town in like 10 days on her tour. I just wanted to see if you had any updates. Last time we spoke about her music career, if you had any updates on how her tour is going or if you guys have been in contact, if you're going to be at that show in a couple of weeks, although I guess the heat playoffs or end of the heat season may may come in, uh, may come in the way there. Yeah, well, she never stops touring. <laughs> she is a, a very busy woman, um, not only running her own business, but, you know, being an entertainer and and traveling all over the country and all over the world, performing to audiences. And and she's trying to do her thing, as is our oldest son, Andrew, who's an artist in New York City. Uh, yeah, but listen, that's how uh, the Reed family plans their summer vacation. I, I admit it's an easy way out. Uh, I pick up the phone. I say, Felicia, where are you <laughs> performing this summer? And my wife and I pick out the spot that we'd like to meet her at. And that's where we all go. But uh, she, we get to see her plenty. Uh, we don't have to go to her show to see her, thank goodness. But it's it's a joy to watch her do her thing, for that's sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like uh, the Reed family's doing well um, and, and kind of, you know, kicking butt and taking names at the moment. So I'm, I'm happy to hear it. That's awesome. Thank well, and, and for, for that matter, 
No, of course. And uh, so with Miami Heat, hey, over the last couple of games, and it's been a bit of a, a, a road to get here over the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to take a second here to sort of update everyone on on the context of, of this conversation. So right now, with five games to go in the season, the Heat are in first place. And at the time of this recording on Thursday morning, they have a one-game lead over the Milwaukee Bucks. Although, once everyone is listening to this on Friday, that'll either be a half game or a game and a half, depending on what happens with Brooklyn tonight. Two games over the 76ers in third, two games over Boston, who they just beat. We'll get to that in a second. And then, of course, Chicago and Toronto are in fifth and sixth, four and a half games back in Miami. And there's the mishmash of Cleveland, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Atlanta in the play-in tournament. So before heading into last night's game, where the Heat beat Boston, it had been a bit of a rocky week or so with the Heat losing four in a row, leading into a win over the Sacramento Kings on Monday, which sort of ended the tailspin. And last night's victory over Boston felt like the statement, right? Trailing headed into the fourth quarter, strong defense down the stretch. So I want to ask you here, Eric, you know, regular season wins don't always equate to very much, particularly with the Heat franchise. But what was the impact of a win like last night on this Heat team, given the circumstances? How big of a regular season win was that? Uh, It's hard to say, you know, how it will play out, Jeremy, but... Listen, just to, to take a step back, you know, we, we had a rough week. Hmm. It's an eight-month season. We right. had a rough week. Right. It's been a very, very good season for, for Eric Spolstra and his team. They've got the third best record in the NBA. Uh, they've been setting the pace in the East for a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. And, yes, they did hit a rough patch. Um, you know, some of it was injuries. Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Tyler Hero. Some of it was Eric Spolstra, as he should have. Uh, trying to work in Markeith Morris and Victor Oladipo. Uh, it came at the expense. Listen, it was going to come at the expense of somebody's playing time. It really came at the expense of Struess and Vincent. And then Gabe gets hurt and, and Martin's been in and out and Tyler Hero missed about a week. Uh, so all of those things combined, um, a little bit of late season slippage on the defensive end, straying away from the identity that that's carried them. And then they snapped out of it. Um, yep. You know, Coach Spo, I think, made the determination within the last week or two uh, that there probably was not enough time to get Victor and Markeith up to speed for the playoffs because it was coming at a price. And I think he made the determination it's just not enough time. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a tough decision for a coach. Um, it's hard on those two players that Coach Spo just had to tell, listen, uh, you're, you're coming out of the rotation. Here's why. You have to have those conversations, whether you're you know, a manager of a company, a teacher in a classroom, a head coach at, at any level. You must have the difficult conversations to move forward the right way. So getting back to the rotation, listen, we still haven't gotten Caleb Martin back. Right. Um, when, when the Heat do, then you're really going to see a dress rehearsal on how Eric Spolster is going to use his team and what his rotation is going to look like uh, as we approach game one of round one. But I think making that adjustment and getting back to the rotation that has been so successful. Listen, one of the the key elements for the Heat all year has been the play of the bench. Now you've tinkered trying to make it better and it's made it worse. So it's getting back to normal. I I think the four straight losses was sort of that, that, uh, Wake up call Miami may have needed at that time. And, you know, why Why was the Boston game so important? Because playing well against Sacramento is not as significant as playing well 
on the road against a team that's already beaten you twice in one of the most iconic buildings, uh, toughest and best places to play in and win. Yep. It was a great victory. It was all the had all the earmarks and identifications of a Heat team. You know, during the losing streak, I, I forget what game it was, but it was a frustrating losing streak. You lose to Philadelphia without Harden and Embiid. You lose to Golden State without Draymond and Steph and Clay. Uh, you lose to the to a bad Knicks team without Julius Randle. On and on it went. That's how the Heat had been winning all along. The Heat were the shorthanded team. Uh, it was the other club that would let down, say, oh, Jimmy's not playing, and Bam's not playing, and Lowry's not. So the shoe got put on the other foot, and getting kicked like that wasn't pleasant. But mm-hmm. it, it did jolt Miami back into to the place that they need to be in. And I loved last night's win at Boston. I, I, you know, the fourth quarter defense was phenomenal. Max Struess, that's the other thing, Coach Spoke. Huge. Besides taking Markeith and Victor out of the rotation, he took Duncan Robinson out of the starting lineup and replaced him with Max Struess. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have to explain why. We all saw why. Um, You know, it's a great luxury to have two shooters, the the quality of Struess and and Robinson. But Duncan's game, I think it's a little bit more well-rounded on both ends of the floor. You know, his defense in Max's the fourth game, quarter. Max's game, you mean? I apologize. Ma- Max's game. You said Duncan's game. Max's, Max's game is game. a little more I'm well-rounded. Sorry. Max's correct. game. Okay. The defense he played in the fourth quarter, Jeremy, and thank you for that correction. Of course. Was phenomenal. I thought it was the best defensive quarter of his life. Uh, blocked two shots, took a charge. Was tremendous on the defensive end, let alone, you know, making four threes. So uh, I loved the game. Uh, you know, Miami showed its resiliency. They were up 11 Mm-hmm. And then saw Boston score 16 straight. He didn't flinch. Um, they just came back. And then down by five with about seven and a half minutes left, they finished the game on a 21 to eight run quality win, got him back on track. And, you know, what's it all going to mean? We, we're not going to know mm-hmm. that till the playoffs. Uh, you know, you, would you like to finish first in the East for the fourth time in franchise history? Absolutely. I think everybody in that, in that heat locker room would like that. Uh, what does it all mean? Listen, we don't, as an organization, hang regular season top <laughs> seed going into the playoff banners. Um, you know, the, the amount of games you win automatically turn into poker chips that you got to push to the middle of the table come playoff time. So the more wins you've accumulated, the more you're at risk to not living up to that because regular season success, Jeremy, is is so quickly forgotten for for. For right or wrong, it's forgotten if you don't follow it up with playoff success. So it's been a joyful regular season as as any of the 34 that, that we've all witnessed. Um, the amount of individual and team success stories that have been surprising and uplifting uh, has been outstanding. And now we're getting ready uh, for the time of year where the whole thing's going to get dictated and we're going to figure out how we feel about this. So what's more concerning to me is not where they finish, it's how they finish. And just like Boston was sort of a dress rehearsal for the playoffs, Chicago, Toronto, Charlotte, Atlanta, all of those teams are playing for something. They're all going to have a playoff feel. But once we get to that first round, we're going to understand what it's really all about. This is all so exciting. I, I can't wait. And, and and it's so funny because you, before we even got to half the questions that I have, you're already touching on so many of, of the key factors that will exist for this team going forward so actually i'm going to skip ahead to a question i was going to have for you later and we'll get back to some of the rotation stuff in a second because you brought it up what a joyful heat season this has been 
I think that you're right. The last couple of weeks, or even really week, it was one week that that so many people sort of like took as this big referendum on a season that has been so incredibly dominant from a team that has done it in such a, a special and unique way. And so they approach 50 wins now for the first time since LeBron James was in a Miami Heat uniform. As crazy as it sounds, this would be Coach Spolstra's first 50-plus win season without the big three. And it would be the 10th time in franchise history. Four of those times the Heat have gone to the finals, twice they've won it. So I know there's obviously, as you said, a, a ton of more work to do for this team if this team goes out in a first round exit, nobody's going to remember how fun this season was. But for you, where does it rank in sort of the pantheon of heat seasons so far as a regular season in itself when you look at everything that's happened this year? And I only ask this question, by the way, because we probably won't speak again before the season is officially over. It's a great question, and it, and it is hard to quantify. Um, but I just know how I feel about this season. Listen, we've been through you know, three championship seasons, a couple of years with over 60 wins. Um, you know, that was that 96, 97 season, uh, you know, the original road warriors, um, the year where we won uh, 27 games in a row with the, with the big three yeah. and went on to win the championship. But I got to be honest with you, Jeremy, uh, I'm enjoying this season. I think as much, if not more than any season we've been a part of in the, in the 34 year history of the franchise. And I think there's a lot of factors, um, you know, after the last, year to two and a half years of the pandemic mm. uh, between watching our team go to the finals and we are distanced. The team is in the bubble. We're back at the arena. Each announcer sit in their own private little dressing room. Uh, no interaction with anybody and doing a game off a little 20 inch TV screen. Right. Uh, but we went to the finals and, and it was something else. Right. And, and then all of last year of not traveling with the team and, and every time the team went on the road, we stayed back and either did it at it in our empty arena or in a in a studio. You know, I think announcers all over the league, we were all able to pull it off, but it's not the way we've done it all these years or the way it's supposed to be done. So getting back to normal uh, with fans in the arena uh, everywhere uh, with 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 broadcasters, again, traveling Um you know, we've been we're back in the in the team hotels, uh, all of those things that you don't think matter that much or make that much of a difference. They do. And to be back with the team that you cover, it's hard to do it when you're disconnected with the team you're covering. So we feel very connected to this team. And I just love the makeup of this team before the season even started. You, you're thinking about adding a Kyle Lowry mm -hmm. and a P.J. Tucker to a team that already has Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So right from the start, you're saying, well, four guys that can defend and win like they do and have. And, and then all the young players that, you know, the surprising influx of an improvement of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Caleb Martin. And there we had the Omer Yurtsevin run. Yeah. I think of all the years, Jeremy, you know, we've had this culture in place ever since Pat Riley came here 28 or 29 years ago. Uh, the coaching has been, you know, so great ever since Pat Riley arrived through the short tenure of Stan Van Gundy and now through 14 years of expulsion. There has been outstanding coaching, an outstanding culture in place. But of all the years, it seems like this this year that that culture and this coaching has received more credit and illumination 
than in all the previous years. So I think the, the individual success stories captured the country's attention, the basketball country, and finally getting the credit and the recognition that they've deserved for, for a long period of time. So I've enjoyed the season immensely. Um, and, and it's a wonderful feeling personally to be doing a job for 34 seasons. And I did 12 years of college basketball before I got to Miami, but to still enjoy it in sort of the pure uh, and very real way that we do uh, being involved with the heat, being involved with the sport, uh, being involved with this league, traveling around the country to the other 29 NBA cities and, and talking with other coaches and players and our peers, it's all come back. And, uh, and on top of that, the Heat's approaching a 50-win season and have a, have a great chance to follow that with, with playoff success. So, yeah, a long, long time ago, I, I decided on the right path, and we feel blessed every single time we walk into an NBA arena, Jeremy. It's really beautiful to hear that, like you said, 34 years later, you're enjoying this season as much as any because I think that that's also, and I think I can speak on behalf of, of sort of Heat Nation who's followed along with you on the broadcast this season, hearing that joy is part of what makes the broadcast so enjoyable for everyone who's paying attention, who's watching these games night in and night out, going on, you know, the NBA adventures, as as you say. And so it is it is special to have, and it's part of the reason why I think so many Heat fans and and so many people around the team are so hopeful that this team makes a deep run because this season has somewhat been a representation of what heat culture really means in so many ways in the roster that they brought in in the guys that have stepped up in the undrafted players who have contributed and going back to that I do want to go back and touch on some of these rotational differences that that now exist after this sort of uh, moment of reckoning, I guess, for Spo in that four-game losing streak. So it, it, it's like you said, the biggest adjustment that is obvious to everyone right off the top is Max Struess going into the starting lineup and placement for Duncan Robinson. And so you touched on some of what makes Max a more versatile player than Duncan so far, but specifically with this starting lineup, with this group where he's coming in and he's playing significant minutes with Kyle, Jimmy, and Bam, he's going to be playing significant minutes alongside probably Tyler or PJ as that fourth player. What does Max Struess bring to that group that maybe Duncan Robinson couldn't before that, that makes them a more elite group of five or six players? Listen, Duncan has started a lot of games for Miami and has been very successful at it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even on, on the rare nights that Duncan Robinson doesn't shoot it well, uh, look, check out who's guarding him. It's yep. usually the best perimeter defender on the other team. And Max got the same treatment last night. Funny, I kept looking. Yeah, Marcus Smart who I talked to one Celtics insider last night who said, and this guy played for the Celtics, Cedric Maxwell. He does their color on radio. Sure. Uh, He played on great Celtics teams. He is very aware of the great tradition of a franchise that's won 17 titles. He called Marcus Smart the best perimeter defender in the history of the Boston Celtics. He told me that before last night's game. I mean, even if he's just in the group of guys that you would consider that. And, and, and I'm looking at Marcus Smart on Max Struess for, right. for much of last night's game. So when you can shoot like those two guys can shoot, you're going to occupy, A, the best defender. You're going to create space for your teammates. It's a luxury to have them both. Um, you'd have to ask Coach Spolstra exactly why he did that. But I think, you know, Max, I would give him a slight edge in versatility. Mm-hmm. Duncan has really improved off the dribble. 
Max is a little bit better at it, I think. Um, Max, uh, this is just my opinion, better sure, sure. defensively uh, than Duncan Robinson. You saw it in the fourth quarter last night. I mean, two block shots. He drew two charges in the game. Um, and it just, Coach Spo feels it's a better fit. And I think the real, you know, the other shoe will be put on when Caleb Martin returns. That's the big one. Then we're going to really see what Coach Spo's rotation is going to look like. And I hope we get to that for the Chicago game. You want to play a couple of meaningful games with the rotation you're going to use in the playoffs before you get there. And, and you know, Jeremy, the four-game losing streak, it was the longest of the season. It was troubling because of the teams you lost to and, and how shorthanded they were. But I think you get a little – the paranoia, the concern, whatever you want to call it, when it happens this close to the playoffs, now's yes. the time you want to have everything buttoned down. You don't want to have a lot of questions popping up now, but whether you do, or you don't, the playoffs take on a life of their own. And I always say this, you know, when, when it ends for, for your team, whoever you root for, it only ends happily for one team each year. And when it ends for the other 29 teams, everybody's trying to figure it out. And I always say the regular season drops enough clues that you shouldn't be too surprised by what happens to you in the playoffs. But this year, it is so competitive and, and so close in the East. There's no telling. I mean, you could get knocked out in the first round. You could advance to the conference finals and, and beyond. And there are probably five teams that, that are probably feeling like that. So even with the bump in the road, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to spill into the playoffs. But given the choice, uh, yeah, I remember the great Marquette coach, the uh, now late Al McGuire used to always say, you want to be on an uptick. You want to stay healthy. You want to be on an uptick going into the postseason. And and hopefully that's where Miami is headed. Um, and listen, dodging matchups. Do you want to be first? Uh, are you afraid of the Brooklyn? You want to be playing quality basketball going into the playoffs, feel confident, feel like everybody's on the same page. And, and I think we're getting to that. Uh, look at the way Kyle Lowry has played over the last couple of weeks, even during the losing streak, you're starting to see what the playoff version of Kyle Lowry is going to look like. So right now I feel very good watching Kyle and Jimmy and bam, they're the three best players on this team. They're the three veterans. They're the leaders. They're all playing very well. Uh, you know, Eric Reed is going to pronounce all three of those guys playoff ready right now. Let's get to it. All right. All right. They're playoff ready. We'll get going. No, I, I love it. And it, it, what is so um, impactful about this team and the way that they're playing and when you look at them over those last number of games, and it was good to see this week in this Kings game, in this Celtics game, all three of those players sort of asserting their will at different moments in the game and sort of stepping up and, and taking over where it was necessary. And that's what allows Tyler Hero to be so effective as just a pure scorer, go get us buckets. It's when all of these guys are on top of their games. And so you actually brought up um, Caleb Martin. And Caleb Martin, to me, in, in my view, may be the most impactful role player for this team should they make a deep run going you know deep into the postseason because of his versatility we mentioned max's versatility and caleb has so much of it defensively so you know like you mentioned it looks like victor oladipo and markeith morris may be on the outside looking in at least going into the playoffs in terms of rotation and so you have sort of your core going from there as things start to take shape and so when you look at the guys gabe vincent Caleb Martin, 
Max Struess. They're sort of the ultimate wild cards here. Of those three players, which do you think, if this Heat team does make a deep run, will have to have what I'll, I'll refer to as the Jay Crowder playoff elevation? Which of those guys will have to have the playoffs of their lives for this team to make the deep run that is necessary? Or, you know, is it just each player does find that role going into the postseason? To win a championship, everybody's got to play their you-know-what off. Um, <laughs> Caleb Martin is is really important, though. Uh, you know, he has struck me this year. You talk about the, the many success stories. Caleb is, is one of them. Uh, uh, we just finished producing uh, and, and putting together the Inside the Heat Caleb Martin show, which is going to air within the next week. And getting a chance to sit down with him and talking for an over, over an hour for the show, um, to hear him tell his story. There's nothing better than a player that has a great story telling their story. Uh, got to do that with P.J. Tucker earlier this season and, and with Caleb more recently. You know, he played his whole life with his twin brother, Cody. Uh, their older brother, Raheem, uh, sort of introduced them both to the game. Raheem is now a graduate assistant uh, for Eric Musselman at Arkansas. Caleb and Cody played for Eric Musselman at Nevada. So right. they went from high school to NC State to Nevada to the Charlotte Hornets, always on the same team. It's an incredible story. And, and then last summer, the Hornets cut – Caleb Martin. Now wild. I don't know what I don't know what kind of other offers he got, um, but he signed a two-way with Miami, and in my view, it's the best two-way I've ever seen a team sign a player to because you got a two-year veteran who, who had already you know learned learned some things about how to be successful in the NBA, but coming to Miami, uh, plugging into a culture that values defense. Uh, for me, in all the players we have seen here in 34 years, Caleb is right at the top of my list for guys that have used their energy, their uh, athleticism uh, equally well on both ends of the court. Uh, you know, I remember at the beginning of the year, how did we first get introduced to Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent? They were at the top of Coach Spoh's 2-3 zone. Yep. And they were the teeth of that 2-3 zone. And, and that's the first spot that we – got to see and notice and enjoy and value both of those players and both of their roles have grown since then to the point where, listen, they're both energizers defensively. Uh, they both have had their moments offensively, but I look at Caleb as maybe the premier perimeter defender uh, in a game like last night where you got to go deal with one of the best perimeter duos in the league and in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you miss a Caleb Martin in a game like that. I want to see Caleb get back as soon as possible because he's missed, I think, five of the last 10 games. Mm -hmm. He's got to get his rhythm, his conditioning, and sort of his mojo back. He's an important player moving forward for the Heat. I want to see him get up to speed, and I want to see Coach Spo move those chess pieces around. So I'm, it, to get to your question, I think Max Struess, because he's going to get the most minutes of that group you just mentioned. He's in a starting role. You saw the kind of performance he's capable of. Uh, with the way he played in Boston. So of that three, I think he's number one, Caleb Martin, not far behind. And Gabe, be plugged in as Coach Spone needs him to change tempo and harass the other team's point guard. Right, well, and that's, gosh, that's what's going to be so interesting going into this playoff series, or whatever the first playoff series is, is, 
you know, do these rotations become matchup dependent or do they become, hey, this is who who we are at our best. And that's that's what's going to be so interesting to see is what does Spo ultimately go with when you have a plethora of options and seemingly everyone will be healthy for you going into the postseason, which is all you can ask for. And I remember, you know, it's funny when we have these conversations, but talking to PJ before the season, the one conversation that we had and I asked him, hey, you know, what will it take for the Heat to win a championship? And his response was, whoever is the healthiest in the postseason is who's going to win the championship. Look how good all these teams are. It's just going to be whoever's healthiest. And so to see the team, which is a a really straightforward answer, but to see, you know, these teams reaching, hopefully, you know, their, their fullest selves and being able to go, okay, should someone go down? Here comes Victor. Should someone go down? Here comes Markeef. That, that's a nice space for the Heat to be in. Um, and as we head into this weekend, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Uh, the Heat head into the weekend with matchups against Chicago and Toronto. They're five and six, respectively. Um, ultimately, then they come home for matchups with the nine and ten seeds, respectively, in Charlotte and Atlanta. But when you look at Chicago in particular and Toronto this weekend, what matchup should Heat Nation be focusing on? Which players on the Heat or what matchups with those two particular teams should the Heat fans be focusing on going into this weekend? Well, in Chicago, listen, I love Billy Donovan, their coach. Uh, he, he was my point guard when I was doing radio for Providence College. He took me to a Final Four and, and all <laughs> of Providence College, uh, Friar Nation, uh, who had a, a revival run this year into the tournament. Yeah, we did. were happy for that. Billy does a great job as their coach, but, but we all know who the key matchups there are. It's DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. Yep. Nikola Vucevic, their center, has been a, uh, a heat nemesis for a long period of time. So it's really defending uh, DeRozan and Levine. I love it anytime you get DeMar DeRozan. And, and Kyle Lowry in the same building the uh, from afar, Jeremy, I, I admired and respected them as Toronto's backcourt for a long period of time. I'm really happy for both of those players uh, to be this successful with other jerseys on mm. DeRozan, uh seemed to lose value in, in, a, in a time where three point shooting is the boss. He doesn't shoot many threes. But do you care how a guy gets his 25 points in the game? I don't <laughs> no. care if you're counting by two or three. 25 is 25. Right. He's a terrific player. And uh, and so that that's the key matchups there. For Toronto, you know, uh, Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the league. He's a lot like Eric Spolstra. Creative, courageous to use and do things that haven't been done or or used before. And they're long and athletic and, and defensive-minded. See, Occam just had a 40-point game. uh uh, against Boston, Van Vliet on a Nobi. I mean, we'll see Precious Achua. It's the second night of a back-to-back. Right. It's going to be Kyle Lowry's first game back in Toronto. There's a lot of good things to look for. A lot for of fun weekend. stuff. Yeah. It's still going down the stretch here. These final five games where you would think, oh, a team in first place. How interesting could the final five games be? Well, I can't think of a more interesting final five games to play. All, except for the final game of the season, all against playoff teams, all against teams that the Heat could potentially play in the first round, which is really crazy when you think about it. And that last game against Orlando, oh my, I, I hope that doesn't mean anything. You, Please. E- even though the Heat, sh- on paper, you know, you, you should win that game. <laughs> I hope everything is tucked away by then. But, Jeremy, it's it's one of the special things about this season. Uh, 82 games is a marathon. It really to is. To have each one of them be this enjoyable 
And this significant and matter as much as it does, that is a gift season, not only for your heat broadcasters, but for everybody out there that enjoys watching this team play. It's It's been a great ride up until this point. I certainly feel fortunate to have uh, been paying as much attention as I have running these social channels. I know that you have been on it every single night for the Miami Heat. And Eric, I'm incredibly appreciative of these conversations we've gotten to have, hopefully, The next one we have is while the Heat are making their next playoff run deep into these Eastern Conference playoffs. Eric Reed, you can watch his broadcasts with Bally Sports Sun Saturday night as the Heat take on the Bulls. You can tune in at 730 for the Heat Live pregame show. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here on this episode of Miami Mic'd Up. You're welcome. The respect is mutual. You've done a wonderful job with these shows. I know you're you're a homegrown young fellow who's coming up in the business and doing it in your hometown. For that, we're both happy for you and and proud of you. And uh, it's it's fun to, to enjoy these talks with you. Thanks, Eric. I really, dr- truly, truly, truly appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mic'd Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places. (laughs) 